Hey, welcome to the What on Earth Can We Do podcast, the show where we chat with environmental leaders from across Alberta to figure out what on earth we can do to take action against climate change and protect our environment. I'm your host, Bree Hewitt, the Communications and Engagement Specialist at the Alberta Emerald Foundation. And today we're talking about rewilding and how Project Forest is rewilding Canada one forest at a time. Today, I'm joined by their founder and executive director, Mike Toffin. Let's get into it. So, Mike, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Super excited to chat. Thanks for having us. Always enjoy an opportunity to tell everybody about what's got going on at Project Forest. So, speaking of Project Forest, can you start by giving our listeners an overview of what Project Forest is and the mission behind rewilding Canada's forests? The, the real simple answer is we help corporate Canada solve some of their sustainability challenges by giving them credit for the work that they fund. And then Project Forest finds projects with Indigenous communities, conservation groups, and municipalities, kind of degraded land, non-productive agriculture land, land that doesn't have, you know, that quote-unquote environmental liability associated with it. And then we develop a project and transition that field to a forest. And the mission is just to find as much land as we possibly can and plant a lot of trees, creating forests, and at the same time helping, you know, our corporate partners really celebrate their sustainability stories and their commitment to giving back. So Project Forest has been around for just just over a year, correct? Uh, no, we turned three in October. Three in October? I don't know why I was under the impression uh, a year. Two, two years and 11 months tomorrow. October 6th is our is our three-year birthday. Oh, amazing. Okay, well, so almost three years now. What yeah. inspired you to start Project Forest and dedicate your efforts to these rewilding initiatives? It, it really started with people calling our phones when I was at the general manager of Reclamation Forestry Tree Time Services. There's been people that called and called and called saying, hey, Mike, I want to buy some trees and I want to plant them somewhere. I was like, well, we can provide you with the trees, but there was no real solution on where to plant them. A lot of people don't know you can't just go into the middle of the forest and plant trees. It's actually against the law. So when people started calling a lot, especially after the Fort McMurray fires, they're like, something's going on. There's something out there where folks are finding us, doing some research and making the phone call, and there's no advertising. And we had to do a little bit of research and figure out what exactly that was. And after doing the research the right way and doing some analysis, we figured the best way to help people solve this problem, which they had kind of identified for us, was to create Project Forest as a not-for-profit organization and then really focus on finding these land parcels, which I talked about earlier. Our first project was with the Nature Conservancy of Canada. And from there, we've really broadened our partner list for land and tried to really focus on Indigenous communities across Western Canada. And that seemed to really bring impact not just to our corporate funders, but to the people who call that land home where we're able to do our projects. It's really important to us. So we've been talking about the term rewilding uh, a lot here. So it's a term that might not be familiar to everyone. It definitely wasn't familiar to me before being introduced to Project Forest. So could you explain what it means in the context of your work and why it's important for the environment and for communities? Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of times I go back to, okay, is rewilding going to be the term that we use and understanding what it meant? Because I was new to me too, three years ago. 
Um, and it was defined or communicated to me very simply as reintroducing apex predators back onto the landscape. Well, when we're where we're doing our work, that's not necessarily the case. As I look at the term rewilding and we incorporate it into Project Forest, it's really taking um, a baseline site, which isn't providing that maximum ecological benefit, and then restoring that and doing that by planting a variety of species. We want to be, you know, putting back all structure levels. We want to be considering succession as we build our forever forests. And in case in point to date, we have a little bit over 400,000 seedlings in the ground and we've planted 21 species. So we're not just out there planting, you know, merchantable timber, merchantable tree species. We're really looking at this through that rewilding lens, do what we say, say what we do, improve it, and then putting the right tree in the right place for the right reason. So by incorporating all of that, and then, you know, when we're working with our Indigenous partners as well, there's a couple extra objectives with respect to the project objectives. And that really helps that rewilding piece because it's not just about the trees, it's about the foods, the medicines, those culturally significant plants. And when that's part of the conversation, part of the plan, you really kind of double down on that rewilding. You mentioned forever forests. Can you maybe expand a little bit on what a forever forest is? I think I can kind of piece it together based on what you just said, but just in case for the listeners, what is a forever forest? Yeah, so it's a great question again. I like to use that term forever forest because we're trying to reestablish natural processes. Our end land use goal is not a merchantable forest. If it was, we'd be planting white spruce and pine. We're, we're planting that diverse mix. We're coming up with you know, that rewilding structure. And to me, that's a forever forest. It's not something that's designed to be merchantable or harvested 80 or 90 years from now and put on one of those forestry rotations. I mean, I'm a forester by training. Most forestry things I, I support very much. But when it comes to Project Forest, where our end land use goal is not a, a merchantable forest, it's a diverse, a biodiverse forest. It's there to provide ecological services. That makes total sense. That's what I figured. So we've talked about rewilding, we've talked about forever forests. Can you share some specific examples of rewilding projects that Project Forest has undertaken in Alberta? Yeah, there's there's a lot. Our first project, Project Forest Golden Ranches, is a Nature Conservancy of Canada site just on the south shore of South Quicking Lake. That one started in 2021. It was it is 55 hectares and we planted just over 110,000 seedlings of 10 species. That one's also really important to us and to that whole area. It's in the Beaver Hills biosphere. And some of your viewers may or may not have heard of that area before, but it's a pretty special place, not just in Alberta, but in the country. It's a UNESCO recognized biosphere. And there's just a little bit over 800 in the world. I think it's about 819 and there's 19 in Canada. And for our first project area to be in a UNESCO recognized biosphere really speaks to the importance of the project about the trust that our land partners put in us and then the trust that the funding partners put in us to make these guarantees that our seedlings will transition into a mature forest. The other places that we've worked in Alberta, we have a strong relationship with the Alberta Conservation Association. Through the Alberta Motor Association, they're celebrating their 100th anniversary in Alberta by rewilding 100 hectares and planting 200,000 trees. We got about half those seedlings in the ground to date, and those are all on Alberta Conservation Association sites. The first three are kind of north of Edmonton with an east-west and central spread. And then the next two project areas, we're looking to hopefully go south of Edmonton to try and get that 
provincial distribution, just like the AMA has partners across the province. We want to be able to create that centennial forest across the province as well. And then we've worked with a number of different Indigenous communities. Swan River First Nation, Paul First Nation, Satsika Nation all have projects on the go. And we're building relationships with many, many more as we look to bring on our 2024 and 2025 projects. So how do you select the locations for your rewilding projects and what factors play a role in the decision-making process? Yeah, really good. All your questions are so good. I feel like I'm I'm on a record. Great question, Sabrina. So you'll probably hear me say that a couple more times. Um, When it comes to finding those locations, sometimes it has to do with us finding a location we think is really cool and then finding a landowner and approaching it. But most times it's us approaching a group or a landowner and saying, hey, do you guys have land that fits our objectives? Again, that's the degraded land. That's non-productive agriculture land. That could be land that was cleared in the 50s or earlier and has been abandoned, just kind of sitting there idle or stagnant. Those are our target lands, right? We don't want to take that productive land out of agriculture production. Food shortage, food scarcity, food production are all really important things that we need to maintain and, and be really cognizant of when we're talking about a project. So when it comes to working with folks like the ACA or the NCC, they have land lined up. They have land that they have missions to reforest or rewild. And then when we start working with those groups, we can help accelerate some of those conservation plants. When we work with Indigenous communities, it's really important to get to know each other. If we're a right fit from a values alignment and kind of the services that we're able to offer and the benefits we can bring to a community, then it's about figuring out the right place of land that benefits their community the most. So you kind of touched on it on your your answer there, but... Mm -hmm. Community involvement obviously is, is super crucial in conservation efforts and in the rewilding process, making forever forests. How do you engage with local communities, maybe specifically Indigenous communities, and garner their support for these rewilding initiatives? It's really about building authentic relationships. And it's about reaching out and introducing ourselves in the right way. And then when we have an opportunity to meet with the community or meet with chief and council, come into the conversation very open-minded. We have like a a very general template or baseline. This is how we try and approach our work. And then go from there and ask a lot of questions and not rush. Just going at the speed that the community is comfortable with is really important. And then again, having that open and honest, frank conversations going back and forth to make sure everybody's on the right page and that we can hopefully come up with a project that benefits the community, right? The other thing that we really truly believe in is it's not project forest project. What we come out and once we find the parcel of land, it's like, what's the vision? What do you want this land to look like with respect to woody plants? Like we have access to so many different species. I normally start with, give me your dream list of 20 species. And then we take that information, what will grow there in the right place, kind of using some of our Western knowledge skill sets. What seeds do we know that we can transition into plants predictably in a greenhouse setting? And then will those plants do well on that site? So there's, you know, it's really cool for us to have those conversations, get that traditional perspective. When communities share why the plants are important to us, that's pretty special. It doesn't always happen and it doesn't have to, but what's important is, okay, what species would you like to have included in that plan? 
and then figure out which ones we have access to and which ones we can produce and, and get in the ground. One of the really exciting and fulfilling parts of building those relationships is that collaboration piece. So when we get to collaborate and meet and learn and share knowledge and stories, that's where it really starts to have some significant impact for for both sides, I believe. Absolutely. Story sharing and getting to know history and traditional knowledge and ways of living, I think, really has an impact on on that final product and what that community really needs and make sure that those forests are beneficial to them. So you've kind of talked about it a little bit already, but how does rewilding help enhance biodiversity in Canada, specifically in Alberta? And what are some of the species that have benefited from your projects? Well, I'll give you a real biased, non-scientific answer. Is every every species that lives out there, I believe, has benefited. So we're, we're normally finding anthropogenic grass fields, right? So man-made disturbances that have been abandoned where sometimes... It's normally not a grass monoculture, but there's not a lot of biodiversity going on. It's just grass that grows from year to year. I say just grass, and there's probably some grass lovers in the audience saying, Mike, what are you talking about? But you got to remember when you go back to, you know, recolonization, these areas were forests, right? We're, we're, we're bringing forests back to where the forests were. We're not normally looking for areas that weren't forested and just planting trees to plant trees for, for no good reason. And when it comes to reestablishing that range of natural species and doing it in a robust way, you get benefits across the entire animal kingdom from the microbes in the soil to the birds and the ungulates that utilize these spaces. And as these areas transition from field to forest, there's also a transition in which animals are using the areas. There's a lot of research out there that shows certain bird species will only come in after a disturbance or at a certain age of the forest or even at that successional forest stage of of a forest life. And of course, we don't have any mature forests yet, but as these areas transition, we'll start to see a range of animals using these areas for different things. And the soil conditions will change over time as well as we reestablish those forest soils, right? So you'll you'll have, you know, as I mentioned, the entire animal kingdom from the microbes to the insects that live and utilize in the soils, the trees start to rot. I mean, rotting grass, we get a big grass mat. But as we start to, you know, do that nutrient cycling and build the coarse woody debris and the branches and the leaves fall down, things come around to decompose those particular pieces and turn it back into soil. And if you can build a good, healthy soil ecosystem, that's normally translated across that whole spectrum. Switching from biodiversity, although it is related to climate change, climate change is Uh, a significant concern that we're currently facing as a global community. Can you discuss how rewilding forests contributes to climate mitigation and resilience in the face of these challenges? Yeah, I'll go back to three years ago, forests suck. We're like, what are you talking about, Mike, forests suck? I'm like, well, they suck out toxins and carbon and all these crazy things from the atmosphere. It was a real catchy tagline, one we don't use too much anymore, but a great one to capture your attention and hopefully some of the readers listeners. So hopefully it kind of goes without saying, but when we establish a forest that was not there before, hasn't been there for a long time, we are able to sequester a reasonable amount of carbon. I don't use the word significant. If you really, really want to focus on planting trees that maximize carbon sequestration, then we're not actually rewilding. There's a two-species system here in Alberta. 
I'd be using Oconee's poplar and, and white spruce coming in at year three or four after establishing that Oconee's poplar plantation. When it comes to removing carbon from the atmosphere, that is by far the most effective, but then we're carbon farming. And, you know, Project Forest isn't afraid of doing those projects. I'd say maybe five or 10% of what we're going to do over the life of our organization will be high sequestration land. We can do those projects when we're working in an industrial situation. So this year we did an industrial afforestation project for Nutrien. Really cool, right on their site in Fort Saskatchewan. We're working with a construction association that purchased a quarter section of land up by Peace River. Their main objective is to remove carbon and tell that carbon story. But it has to be the right tree in the right place. So we're going to get out there, we're going to survey it, we're going to put a drone up in the air, understand the topography and figure out where can we plant these fast-growing trees and then where do we have to rewild because the soil or the moisture conditions won't allow us to plant trees in that manner. And when it comes to climate change, species diversity and species robustness is really, really important because everything kind of works as a system. So when we plant plants that work together, I think it's a more effective climate change tool. But that said, our story isn't about carbon. Our story is about, you know, rewilding and biodiversity. Carbon's a, a result of doing rewilding the right way, right? So if we build a forest, the carbon will get sucked out. But it's all about the additional values, which are important to climate change, because it's not just the air. It's not just the carbon. It's the water. It's the soil. And, and it's really the ability to go out and enjoy these spaces with our families, with our customers, with our clients, whoever it might be. If you funded a Project Forest location, it's an hour from where people live. And we want our partners to be able to go out there and go for a walk five or 10 years after they funded that forest and say, hey, I was a part of this. Um, climate change is so important, but so is like building that relationship with the land and building that relationship with nature. And when all those things are intertwined, I think it magnifies that impact and people look for other ways to contribute and give back and, and try and make a difference. Looking ahead, what are some of Project Forest's future goals and aspirations for rewilding Canada? It's a, a fun question. I, I've been asked that one a number of times, and most people expect me to come back with, I want to plant a billion trees, come up with that aspirational number, really correlated to number of trees in the ground. But the more I get asked that question, the more I'm really confident in my answer, where it's, I just want to create a big, strong community. Our first Project Forest partner celebration, we called it an AGM, but it was like we talked business for 10 minutes and then really kind of shared the story and celebrated our partners. We had 100 people there, which is really good for our first year, right? It was a year ago in November in downtown Edmonton. Next year in spring 2024, we're going to have it at IKEA Calgary. There's room for 300 and I want 300 people there. And then as we move on in 2025 and 2026, I want to start getting bigger venues because the demands and we've built that community and we have so many more people to celebrate and have that story. And like, what is my vision for rewilding Canada is like people coming together to create these positive impact movements and then coming into one space to tell that story and celebrate it. If we had like a thousand people there one day, like that, that would be insane, right? Just kind of this little idea I had in the shower a couple of years ago turns into a community of businesses coming together to solve some of these big challenges that we can't do on our own. The result of that is trees in the ground. The result of that is forest. But when you can kind of harness that community 
and people come together to solve that challenge, that's what really gets me going, right? That human impact, the human story that results in a better planet for us to live on. I know you'll get there. I, I see the passion and I know that that Project Forest, however many years down the road, is going to have a thousand people at one of those AGMs and, and that community piece behind it will propel us forward to to achieving our goals on, on climate and environment and also connectivity as a population. So I'm excited to to see where, where you guys take it the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate the support and just the opportunity to tell our story because people are like, oh, how do people find out about you? We've done some creative campaigns before, but it's word of mouth. So whenever I get an opportunity to be on a podcast or a radio interview or anything, I'll say yes. Because you never really know where it's going to lead. And we're just starting to build that momentum and, and hit that critical mass. I mean, a three years old, we're, we're not a year old anymore, but <laughs> at three years, we're, we're young and there's still so much work to do. And to become that household name, like some of the other folks in the space, once we get there, then you know we'll we'll hit those numbers and we'll have an organization that hopefully outlasts myself and the team, right? It's just a matter of putting the right pieces in place to build that foundation. And then once we're there, the rest hopefully takes care of itself. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today to talk about this incredibly cool project and rewilding itself. Where can folks learn more about Project Forest and stay connected with what you're doing? I was putting that out there. I'm like, Sabrina, ask me a contact question because I want to <laughs> connect with your listeners. Uh, it's really simple. You can get a hold of us at info at projectforest.ca. That'll get you to the whole team. So we just share that email address across the board. We have our website, projectforest.ca, and then we play in a few social media spaces. You can kind of find me, look for Mike Toffin on LinkedIn. That's T-O-F-F-A-N. And Project Forest has sites on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Best Khaled, our comm specialist, does an awesome job pumping out the Project Forest content. And then you'll see me posting stuff, not regularly, but when it comes out, it's normally pretty cool. But yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity. And if your folks have more questions, info at projectforest.ca and we'll, we'll get back to you. Schedule a chat. Amazing. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you'd like to learn more, check out the resources in the show notes. The What on Earth Can We Do podcast is a program of the Alberta Emerald Foundation, a nonprofit charity that showcases, inspires, and empowers Alberta's environmental achievements. To learn more about the Alberta Emerald Foundation, head to our website, emeraldfoundation.ca, or follow us on social media at Alberta Emerald. A big thank you to our sponsors, Capital Power, Syncrude, the Government of Alberta, the City of Edmonton, and Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation. See you next time!